Oh, okay. I feel pretty official now. Uh, do we have a cordless microphone in case uh, I want to? Okay, we do. All right, this is the only theology heavy portion I'm going to teach on. And this is going to be uh, a backbone, kind of the skeleton. After this, I really want to provide for you very specifically, especially for what I believe is those divine appointments uh, this afternoon. Test, test. Okay. Okay, so we need to, yes, I understand. Oh. How much do you think? <laughs> okay, well that helps. Thank you for your concessions here. And if anyone does want to make a bid on the piano, just let me know. All right, uh, Luke 4, 18 and uh, 19. Jesus is starting his public ministry, and he makes a proclamation, and the people were amazed when they heard this. He's a young man. He already had enough of a reputation that as he goes to the synagogue, this is very typical, church as normal, but all of a sudden the people in that service realize something is different. I'm used to teaching. Uh, this seems like a little more than that. Um, uh, we, we kind of are used to people even maybe speaking with a little bit of authority, but this guy's got authority. And the people had a hard time understanding what the difference was. And I want to submit to you, I think you've been in places before where you're like, okay, this is what I expect. Uh, we're going to do a little worship. We're going to do a little teaching. Great. Tick that box. Go home. And sometimes something different happens. And it's in a category that maybe you didn't expect. And um, I want to submit to you that I think one of the categories is prophecy. And prophecy fulfillment. And Christ was proclaiming and speaking with authority. This is what's happening right in your time. And I believe all of us. Uh, have application of this in our time. And so let me go through this and explain what I mean because this is what I call low-hanging fruit. It's the word of God, it's prophetic, and many people walk past that fruit and don't stop and pick it. It's that easy. Don't walk past it. This is for you. This is for me. We can have this right now. All right, so several things going on. Jesus is reading out of Isaiah 61, and it's a very familiar passage. Again, everything seems so normal. I am anointed by the Spirit of the living God to preach the gospel to the poor. I think already people are like, whoa, this guy's good. <laughs> what else is he going to say? <laughs> and you can see the list, which I love the list, and actually we kind of modeled our ministry saying, Jesus, everything you did, we want to do. 
Which, by the way, is one of the first things that strikes me in Jesus' ministry is you and I can debate what each one of these things mean. It's like, okay, uh, that the blind will see? What, what does that mean? Does it mean physically blind? Does it mean spiritually blind? Well, the debate is taken away from you and I. All you have to do is read a little further. Because Jesus said, I'm anointed. Another word for that would be appointed. I have the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit to do this list of things. And then guess what? He goes out the door and does that list of things. Now, I don't know about you, but I love leaders that are not just talk. They actually do what they talk. And I think we all probably feel, you know, we've had bad leaders and that are just talk. And I think you discern that quickly. I want to be a leader like this. I want to be a leader like Jesus is. And I know there's some lot of leadership callings in this room. I think that's the kind of leader you want to be. One that has that integrity that's not just words, but actually action behind those words. We may be well-intentioned, understand where the power to do these things comes from, because these things really are supernatural when you follow and read through the Gospels and, and see what Jesus did. All right, so... Um, Gospel to the poor, uh, that, that, we like that one. Uh, proclaim that captives will be released. This is very important and one that I feel the Lord emphasized uh, in me. Uh, again, I have a business background in those days when the Lord was telling me to sell my business and become a full-time ministry. I'm like, no. And it was one of these things um, I, I, was actually, I felt I was actually asked this, uh, what would you want to do? And I said, well, I would like to set captives free. Okay, I'll give you the authority and the power to do that. Well, wait a minute. Before I can do that for someone else, Jesus, you got to set me free. <laughs> I need to be free. It's like, okay, let's start now. Like, I don't want to. I'm comfortable with where I am. But I've taught this prayer to my church because I, I see it in them. There's this part of me that says, I'm terrified of that. But there's this other part of me that says, I want to want to. Now, that sounds pretty wimpy, and I, I confess it is. It sounds wimpy as I tell it to you. But that's just how wimpy my faith was back then. And that's all I could pray. Because the Lord laid it out for me, and all I could say is, man, I want to want that. God, work on my heart to get me to that place. And as Kathy said, the Lord wants you set free even more than you want to be set free. And can I say the Lord is doing more work behind the scenes than you and I would realize? And he's doing more work than we're doing. And be confident that this is not something that you can't reach. If it's in the word of God, it's not to frustrate you. It's for us to have and for us to be able to walk in here and now. All right, so um, gospel to the poor, blind will see, captives released. That word released I'm going to talk about later today because I'm going to emphasize relationships and, and marriages. So if you are married, 
I'll be talking about you. Uh, if you're going to be married, if you want to be married, I'm going to be talking about you. So we'll all fit in there somehow, um, and we'll emphasize that. But remember this concept of, of captives be released. And again, we, we don't have time to go into the discussion of like, well, what does that mean? Is that like what these ladies do in the jail? They're captives, you know? Well, I think when we track Jesus' ministry, we could all agree Wow, people were captive by physical issues, you know, uh, leprosy, uh, disease. Uh, people were captive by spiritual issues, uh, unbelief, uh, fear. Um, yeah, all of the above. We saw Jesus set captives free. I will make one emphasis on this. And again, I want to raise your expectations for your ministry time this afternoon. God's definition of freedom is not, oh, let me give you a few tidbits how to Decorate your jail cell. You know, put flowers in front of the bars so it doesn't look like you're in a, in a jail. And let's, you know, decor, put hang curtains here and so it doesn't look like steel bars. No, that's not freedom. When Jesus says, I came to set captives free, he means kick that door open and walk out of that jail cell and don't go back. That's freedom, all right? That's how we think of freedom. So if we're talking about, oh, fear, can you really be fear of fear? Yeah, we're gonna kick the door open and you can walk out. You don't have to manage that the rest of your life. You don't have to keep looking back. So um, again, sidetrack there. Where, where are you going? All right, the downtrodden will be free. Uh, that, another way of saying that, this is a new living translation. So uh, broken hearts will be mended. I love that about Jesus. So rather than just like, again, put a little salve on, on the owie, it's like, no, let's mend it. Let's make it whole. Let's, let's talk about real healing. All right. And the last one is the one I want to spend a, a, a little bit of time on because this will serve us uh, through our morning and very important concept. And the time of the Lord's favor has come. And what Jesus is alluding to here in the original language is a concept called jubilee. Have you heard this word, jubilee? This is a good word. It means joy. It means the kind of joy you would experience if beyond all odds, you found yourself um, under a pile of debt, about to die, no hope, no way out. You were just at the end of your rope, and all of a sudden... Everything changes, and you're free. You'd be like, I feel joy. <laughs> I can't believe it. I didn't even know this was an option. Uh, a few seconds ago, I was hopeless, buried under all this weight, no way out, and now instantly, everything has changed. Now, if that happened to you, I wouldn't have to teach you to feel joy. I wouldn't have to talk you into being joyful. That would be something that would just come up from inside. That would even be like, I can't, this is great. Wow, that's jubilee. Well, and God's people were actually supposed to practice this. And every seven years, I kind of like this system. Every seven years, they were supposed to take the whole year off. See, you would work six years kind of save up a bit. And then that seventh year was a vacation. Does that sound good? Okay, I might have a little workaholics in this room. Some overachievers in here. I could tell. 
You're like, oh man, I work like crazy. Well, listen, there's always some lessons, some practical lessons from the observances or what God wanted his people to do. And Jubilee is an important one. And it's kind of interesting to me because God's people were not able to do this one. They're very religious people, very technical, you know, we're going to do everything right. But this is one that was lost and they were not able to observe. So, you know, well, what's the point of working six years and then taking a seventh year off? Well, definitely rest. That's a good thing and a God value. Um, but also, um, gee, you would um, have some faith to do that. Because if you were in an agricultural economy, you were pretty aware that if you didn't plant, if you didn't, you know, uh, weed, if you didn't do all the preparation, you were not going to sow. So you had to trust God that, all right, if I take a year off, you need to provide enough in year six. And then when I come back to work, uh, provide enough, you know, to make up. And, okay, God, I, I'm going to trust so it's this aspect of trust goes with faith. I think there is a lesson that says you are not here, your purpose, you do not live just to work. Okay, I said that to all the workaholics in the room. So, all right, that is for you. You know who you are. It's those that are looking at me like, oh, he's already got me. All right. Yeah, you're not here just to work. Yes, I get it. We work to live. See, I struggle with this because this was one of my major strongholds, 18 years in business. Um, you know, now I'm looking out at a church that we just celebrated a girl that got clean and sober, and she's in her 30s, I think, Rima? But she, she's in her 30s, and she just got the first job she's ever had in her whole life. She grew up homeless, teenager on the streets, you know, in her 20s, addicted, homeless, uh, God saved her through our ministry. She came in and found the Lord, and we actually celebrated. Uh, and I think she's been working six, seven months now, right? So not only got the job, but able to hold the job. So my audience at home is a little different. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm like saying, you do not live to work. They go like, amen, pastor. That's the first thing I agree with. You've said all day. <laughs> okay, but you have to work to live. Oh, we do? Okay, yes, there's, there's balance there. <laughs> All right. But that's a, that's a sub point. Um, there's actually a bigger spiritual lesson in Jubilee. And it has to do with, uh, after seven of these Jubilees, there's an important 50th year one. Seven times seven, 49. So the 50th Jubilee is the one that Jesus is declaring here. And this one is pretty cool because all debt is forgiven. Credit cards zeroed out. Car loans, nada. Student loans, gone. Mortgages, zeroed out. All debt is cleared. How many of you would like to celebrate that jubilee? Okay, you workaholics, you, 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 you got exposed there because you're like, I'm not raising my hand. Uh, this happened to me one other time. Uh, I was uh, teaching a business conference. I'm, I'm old. I have a business background. So they like me for speakers at business conferences. So I went to this business conference. 
And I got to this point, I'm like, how many of you would like to celebrate this jubilee where all debt is forgiven? And they're like, yeah. uh, no. And I, I was like not understanding what's going on. I'm like, I thought this was a good thing. You know, what's going on? Is there like gravy on my tie? Is there something that I said? And then it hit me. Oh, this is a businessman's conference. 80% uh, of the room are mortgage bankers. And they're like, yeah, no, because now this pile of papers back in my office is worth nothing. Wow, there's a spiritual lesson there. We love forgiveness when it's coming our way. God, thank you for your grace. We love your grace. Yes, we do love your grace. And Jesus says, hey, this is great. I will forgive your debts, a commercial term he used, by the way. I will forgive your debts as you forgive your debtors. Wait a minute. There's a condition there? Yeah, in the same way. As a forgiven one, you have a supernatural power, ability to forgive. Um, we get invited to speak at a conference, a different conference. It's called School of Supernatural missions or ministry missions I can't it's got the word supernatural in it and I'm always like okay I don't think we're that supernatural but okay well but when I get to this part I always tell them I go this is the most supernatural thing I'm going to be talking about this level of forgiveness walking number one that you are forgiven on this level and then actually having the power to forgive as you are forgiven and I've actually led people to the Lord because I've preached on this. And I said, you know, if you don't have that power, just come up after the service and I'll introduce you to Mr. Forgiveness. That's my, it's Jesus, you know, but I'm like, I don't say that. And I've had people come up and go, man, my abuser, you know, he is so bad or my mom or da-da, I, I, I just can't. I tried, nothing came out of my mouth. I'm like, great. Would you like your sins forgiven? Oh, Yeah. Well, let's receive that right now. And in, you know, two minutes, I explain salvation. They receive Christ as their Savior and that they're a forgiven one. And they're like, whoa, that's great. Yes, thank you. I'm a Christian. I go, yes, you are. And they try to leave. I go, wait, don't leave. Don't leave. Before you leave, let's try forgiving your abuser again. Like, well, I, I don't know if I can. Well, let's, let's just try. Let's just test it. When you came up here, you can do it. Let's try right now. Okay, I'll try. Jesus, help me. I guess, no, just say, I'll, I'll do it. Okay, I choose, and boom, it comes out to forgive my abuser. There's the power to do it. Whereas two minutes earlier, there was not the power to do it. This is supernatural. This is part of salvation. This is part of what you and I carry. This favor. You're gonna have peers that think God is angry, that think God is vindictive, that don't understand God who right now, in this period of time, um, is moving in his favor, that he's for us, that he's like that little league dad cheering you on, just saying, yes, you can do it, son. You can do it, daughter. I'm proud of you. I love you. Yeah, you made mistakes. That's okay. Well, let's learn from that. Let's keep going. This is an important message that we have. Um, God's favor is now. 
If you want to study this out further, you can read. It's very important where Jesus stopped here because Isaiah 61 continues on and talks about the day, a short time of God's vengeance. We're not in that time right now. I believe this has a lot to do with God's calendar. Um, the scripture reading for the year was always preset. So for Jesus to go to church and start his ministry, public ministry on this date, I think was very specific. And Jesus sits down, and that's when the rabbi starts to teach, you know, the profile changes. And he says, what I just proclaimed is happening right now. And that's where people are like, whoa, that's amazing. We've never heard anyone speak like this. Who is this? They think a little bit. Let's kill him. Let's kill him? How'd you go from this is amazing to let's throw him off a cliff? The crowd changed that quickly. This is recorded for us in Luke, and we don't know a lot of the background, but I think this might be part of it, is maybe people in the room realized, you know, if Jesus is declaring that this is it, because in this time, they had lost track of Jubilee. They didn't even know what year it was. I, I know they've been exiled and returned, exiled and returned, so um, not all their fault. But you probably have to go back to the time of Joshua, that Jubilee years were actually recorded and actually observed. So in the time of Christ, when he says, this is it, this is God's Jubilee, of course, he's talking about something different, but they're all going like, it is? I just made a loan. <laughs> I, I just, I'm going to lose that. And maybe they started thinking, you know, people get pretty angry if it affects them financially. So that could have been part of why the crowd turned so quickly. I think also they might have felt a little shame. And you may think, oh, shame, that's not a big deal. That's not enough to cause someone to want to commit murder. Well, I've seen shame make people do crazy things. And I want you to think of shame, fear, anger, some of these things, not just as emotions, but think of them as spiritual strategies because that's really what they are. And, you know, Jesus is proclaiming something. There's going to be pushback. The enemy wants to try to rob, steal, and destroy and they might have felt shame and embarrassment that here this young guy is telling them what year it is. <laughs> and they, they, they had no idea. Financial shame. There might have been a religious guy in the room that goes, no, wait a minute. Only the high priest can declare jubilee. Okay, you know, technical religious guy, you're right. Uh, that's the job of the high priest to declare the beginning of God's jubilee. It's interesting, though, uh, that you and I have the book of Hebrews, and we learn that Jesus is our high priest. Uh, we have a little bit of advantage over that crowd. And he wasn't born a Levite, so he's not in the Levitical order. Um, but we learn from reading the rest of Scripture, and the whole of Scripture, you probably have to go back to Genesis to realize that Jesus is a priest, and he's a priest in the order of, this is a trivia question. Anyone have a guest of his priestly order? I think I heard her. Melchizedek. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, good group. 
Yeah, Melchizedek, the priest that blessed Abraham. This is not a Jewish thing. This is a God thing. Melchizedek came from Salem, Jerusalem, what is now Jerusalem. There was always a time and always a place where people connected to the real thing, to the real God. And Abraham was just one that God found and he found God and his faith was able to carry forward. But Jesus was acting as the high priest and here's the proof. Remember I said that we can debate this all we want, but all you have to do is track what Jesus did? Well, two and a half years from Jesus saying, this is God's jubilee. He goes out those doors and he's being nailed to a cross. And as he's being lifted up on that cross, he is paying the debt for everyone in that room. The debt is canceled. It's gone. This is our jubilee. What Jesus did on the cross. So, Again, I don't think anyone in that room understand it. And they were angry enough to want to stop him right there. But led by the Holy Spirit, of course, he walked through that, that angry crowd. All right. I want to go forward. Um, this next verse is one that's important to me, John 14, 12. And again, you put Luke 14 and 19 together, John 14, 12. I know you know this. I see your value for missions. I see that you are very important. It's very important to you to be real. I'll just stop there, but uh, I think you know what I mean by that. And um, it's, I value that too. And by the way, this verse messed with my brain for a long time. Actually, it still does a little bit. Because uh, this is Jesus teaching. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone that believes in me will do the same things I have done and even greater things because I'm going to be with the Father. We're supposed to do this stuff. Uh, wow. Because I'm one of those anyone's that believes in Jesus. I'm no one special, ordinary guy, but I believe in Jesus. Okay, that means I'm supposed to do those same things. A uh, guy tried to talk to me once, like, well, what's the even greater things? I'm like, oh, man, don't talk to me about that. I'm just trying to get up to even with Jesus. We'll talk about the greater things later. But uh, between us, I, I think that just means there's more of us. So it's going to be even greater in scope, and by the way, this is the Holy Spirit ministry, and there's no limit there. So the word greater doesn't bother me other than I just see what I see in the Gospels and trying, trying to get there. So, all right. Here's what I wanted to talk to you about, and there's many verses about this, and it's going to be the emphasis of your prayer time this afternoon, and it's going to be this concept here that I'll highlight of God's uh, masterpiece. Whoops, my highlighter did not quite go far enough, but... Uh, you're not God's master, you're God's masterpiece. So, uh, sorry about the formatting there. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we'll start with verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. I, that gives me peace, I actually like that. Verse 10, this is our emphasis for today. Um, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, you may not feel like God's masterpiece. You may wake up one morning and it's a bad hair day and everything's gone wrong and you're like, oh, man. But again, if you were here when I kind of did the introduction, uh, God looks at us 
through a different criteria than even we look at us. And what I'm going to ask you to do today, very few things I'm going to ask of you, but this is going to be one of them, and that is that the word of God is paramount. The word of God is going to be your truth for today. What that means, if we had just this verse, and there's a whole bunch more, I'll, I'll scroll through a whole bunch more, but if this was the only verse we had, and we're thinking, uh, okay, God says this about me, I'm going to believe it. Well, what about those other voices in your life? You know, what about, you know, the parent that you can't please or the siblings that seem to do nothing wrong, but you know the truth. They, you know, they just look good on the eye. I mean, you know, all those other voices. And you're like, I don't feel like a masterpiece. Well, wait a minute. This is the word of God. This is a status. This is who you are. You may not be acting like it. We can close that gap. I just want you to receive that this is what God calls you. Now, a masterpiece is not a small word. This is, this is a big deal. Um, this is the word before called workmanship. Um, a pastor talked me into putting the penguin up there. Uh, I, I guess there's a movie about everyone, a penguin movie. I haven't seen it. Or I watched a little bit of it. I didn't get it. The penguins could all speak and dance. And maybe you've seen the movie. Uh, poema is this word of workmanship. Does that sound an image to you? It's like, oh man, I don't know Greek, but it sounds like the word poem, and you'd be absolutely right. Beauty, design, purpose. You're beautiful. You're lovely. You have design, masterful design. And that's this word that God uses to describe who you are. And by the way, even where you live and the time you live is not a mistake. Acts 17, um, from, um, I'm going to start here with part I underlined. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Now, maybe some of those things are sources of your frustration. Understand, God has a different purpose. And if you're being frustrated by any of these things, you're looking at it the wrong way. And let's get on board and look at where you live, when you live, who you are. Let's look at it through um, God's lens. All right, I want to, um, oh, here's just some examples of uh, other people that are his uh, masterpieces. This is what we're going to emphasize today, and that is that Marriage is also designed, is also masterful, and we are going to pray for those that would want, want it. I think we'll have enough prayer teams here. We're going to pray for you as an individual, your original design, but if you would like a few words about the original design of your marriage, um, we'll, we'll try. We'll, we'll pray that as well, and I'm basing it on this verse. This is why I put it up here. Um, and it's kind of interesting the context of this verse. Some Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, so they asked him what they thought would be a, a very difficult question about, about divorce. And Jesus answered them uh, with a question, uh, what did Moses say about divorce? And they said, well, uh, you know, technically, uh, after all these conditions, he permitted it. Don't you love the religious guy in the room? He's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to argue scripture with Jesus. 
Not a good idea, but yeah, give it a try. Uh, but Jesus responded. He wrote this commandment uh, only as, as a concession uh, to your hard hearts. <laughs> so this is not God's heart. Uh, this is your uh, hard heart. But God made the male and female from the beginning uh, of creation. Uh, this explains why a man will leave his father and mother. There's a little insight to being married. And joined uh, with his wife. And the two uh, are um, united into one. That is a crazy phrase. Two people united into one. Now, I've gotten to officiate at several marriages, and I love it. It's always kind of fun. It's like, oh, they're in love, they're beautiful. And I try to think of this concept to become one. Well, you're still individuals, but you're, uh, well, it's in the word of God. So apparently you guys are one. What I've learned over the years is that there is a spiritual unity. There is a spiritual oneness that happens. And so we can pray for an original design because by God's masterful purpose and design, when you became married, this isn't just talking about uh, the physical consummation. This is talking about a spiritual consummation where the two of you have uh, become a new spiritual entity. So log that into your um, memory bank there just for a while because this is what you want to care for. This is where uh, health needs to start and where health needs to remain. And if that disconnects, if that starts to separate, yeah, everything else is going to follow. There's, there's going to be problems everywhere else. I kind of introduced my wife, Kathy, as my prayer team because we both serve on prayer team ministry so much and people sometimes meet her first as the prayer team. But I'm serious about that. We're a prayer team. If something is coming against her, I'm praying, God, heal us. I'm not like, okay, Lord, this is her issue again. Heal her, please show her, you know. No, we're one. This is one entity. So I have the same authority. I know, we've, I, I had to learn this. I, I may sound, you know, like, oh, what a great husband he is. No, I had to learn this, and I think we all are legitimately excited that you are so ahead of us, and you are getting such a head start. I wish somebody would have sat me down 30 years ago and went over this stuff with us because uh, I remember a time when um, uh, we were arguing or fighting over something, who knows what, and we're both sitting on the edge of our bed and we're like, I think Kathy looks at me and goes, well, I think you should pray. And I'm like, I'm mad, I don't wanna pray. I'm like, you pray. And she's like, well, I'm mad, I don't feel like praying. I'm like, well, she said what I was thinking, right? And I'm like, I'm mad too. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm the man. I'm the leader of the home. Spiritual leader is supposed to be. So, okay, I'm going to pray. So I'm thinking, Jesus, help, help me pray, okay? Help me. Like, how can I pray in a way that she'll realize she's wrong? <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I'm like trying to think, you know. And, of course, that doesn't, that lasts like two minutes. You know, it's like two minutes of silence. And she's looking at me like, I thought you said you were going to pray. And I'm like, I'm trying. I, I can't get, you know, and like, 
okay, God, it's my sin. I'm sorry, forgive us. But then it came out. And actually, I think Kathy said it to me first. She looked at me and she said, you're not the enemy. I'm like, yeah, I'm not the enemy. What, I have like horns and a tail or something? I'm not the enemy. But then I got it. I'm like, oh, yeah. And I looked at her and I said, you're not the enemy. Why don't we join forces and both of us work against the real enemy? And that's turned our marriage around. Uh, it, it seemed like overnight the way we remember it. But that dynamic, you see, the enemy had us fighting each other and using our power against each other. Whereas very simply, as one, we joined forces. Guess what? Uh, victory was immediate. Victory was absolute. Victory is there's no looking back. So this is a very important principle. Uh, let me finish it. Uh, the two are united into one since they are no longer two, but one. So there's an emphasis in scripture said again, uh, let no one uh, separate what God has put together. So you can see how important this spiritual entity is. This is a big deal to the Lord. Uh, it needs to be a big deal to us. And if you feel like the problem is with the other person, Please understand, that's a scheme, that's a trick. Uh, the enemy is trying to steal your stuff. Uh, you can confess that, but join forces. You need each other. As one, um, the victory will be quick. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Kat? Are you, is that a fair representation of, or do you want to bid on the piano? Oh, I'd love the piano. Where's the piano? <laughs> I just love this long microphone. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't have to stand up. Um, well, what, one of the things we discovered, too, was, you know, you still have to talk out practical things, right? But taking away the spiritual aspect of anger and rejection and all those, you can really talk more peaceful. You can really be heard, and you're not so defensive. So that's a practical thing with taking away some of the spiritual power, how the enemy's coming against you. So, so again, remember uh, what I'm trying to describe here. If you're married or even engaged, uh, you can ask the prayer team, hey, thanks for this original design for me and for him, but could you pray over both of us and give us a few things uh, about our marriage? And we'll try to add to that because I think it will be super encouraging to you. So, all right. So back to Ephesians 2.10 because, again, let me try my highlighter. There, I did it. God's masterpiece highlighted. Um, I, I want to talk about this concept and how important it is and why I want you to have this information today. I think if you heard a lie, you'd probably process that. You'd probably shrug your shoulders and you'd probably go, oh, that doesn't sound right. I think that's a lie. Okay, good for you. What if you heard that lie 10 times? Well, you're like... Let me plug in my intellect here. So lie repeated 10 times is still a lie. You're right. But think of the practical. What if you heard the same lie for 10 years? It is absolutely still a lie. But this is a scheme of the enemy. And there is a battle over your identity, who you really are. And it may be hard for you to see 
in yourself. It may be hard for you to see in your generation. But certainly look at the next generation. Because in my lifetime, um, this battle was not as overt as it is today. It was still there, but it was very covert. You know, those voices that would lie and try to define you and diminish you were there. But now they're very overt. Now young people actually will pay money to have people speak lies over them. <laughs> now culture and media work really blatantly, boldly defining people that your truth is good for you and define yourself. Well, don't define yourself. Let your feelings and your peers define you. There's one person that has the right to define us, and that's the master that created the masterpiece. And that's all we are submitting, is we want to give you that data. You can disagree, that's fine, but at least now you're hearing truth. I have had people, young and old, come to me and say, hey, this original design is great, but uh, I, I, I don't know, that's, I've never heard that before. All I've heard is the opposite. I go, oh, well, who'd you hear it from? Oh, my siblings growing up. Oh, teachers, coaches. Oh, you know, I'm like, you haven't heard it from God. I want you to put God's word above all those other voices. I had a conversation just a couple months ago with one of our street guys. And um, it comes up in conversation a lot. You know, I'm talking to him and he's wanting help. And he just looks at me and he goes, Pastor, I'm just a drug addict. And when somebody says something over their identity, I do manifest bad things. I mean, it's like, it's, it comes out of me. Break, sever in Jesus' name. You are not just a drug addict. I didn't do that. But that was what was going on inside me, all right? So on the outside, I tried to be really kind. I'm like, who told you that? And he says, well, okay, to be honest, I used today. And I'm like, oh, so you're going to let your behavior define who you are over the word of God. He says, no, it, it, it's more than that. Um, ask anyone on the street. Ask my friends. They'll tell you I'm a drug addict. I go, okay, so you're going to listen to their voices and you're going to put their voice in a higher place of authority in your life than the word of God. It's pastor, I know what you're trying to do. Listen, my parents were drug addicts. I'm like, okay. So you're going to let the generations define who you are even more than the word of God. Now, I know that's a dramatic example, but there's a version of that in all of us. Um, there, you've had those same kind of voices. They may seem subtle, but over time, they just keep piling on. And so I want you to place the word of God higher than your past higher than your sin and failure, okay? I don't want you to relate to me based on my sin and failure. Uh, I'm not gonna relate to you that way. So you don't relate to you that way. That does not define you. Don't let it define you. We are gonna confront you with what God says about you. Now from there, you do have a choice, but at least you are gonna hear the truth. And this is what I am trying to train people to do and teach people to do because I really am fearful fearful for the next generation and the next generation because they are growing up in an environment you could just almost see it in the atmosphere 
lies and curses flying around, and that's, that's all they're hearing. And if that's all you hear, whew, that's, that's tough. That's going to be a tough go. All right. To define a masterpiece, I think I have a picture of a masterpiece. Do you recognize this painting? Um, this is one of the most visited paintings uh, in the world. It is an Italian painting in a French museum insured by an English insurance company. Uh, I know, I think that's funny. The uh, Lloyds of London have the Mona Lisa insured. Anybody have an idea of the insured value of the Mona Lisa? Guess. How much is this thing worth? Be bold. This is one of those paintings, by the way, that will probably never be bought or sold, but it does have a value. 500 million. You would be so super close because a painting also done by Da Vinci um, that is on plywood called Woman with Ermine. It's woman holding a big rat. Actually did get sold and changed hands and it was 500 million. So that is a really good guess for this painting. Very close, same, same artist, same time. I know, Woman with Herman. Uh, okay, I like the billion uh, numbers. I like this. We're getting there. All right. This is crazy to me because Lloyds of London, you know, really smart business guys, they have declared the insured value of the Mona Lisa is priceless. This is swirls of paint on a canvas. And they have declared, we will spend any amount of money to recover it if it's ever lost or stolen. And it has been stolen twice, actually, and recovered. So this is craziness. That is a lot of value that we put on a fairly small painting. And I agree, Leonardo da Vinci is a master, but he's not God. And what scripture is saying is the master that created you is the master of all masters. You are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. And what we're going to describe is a small part of what he originally designed in you. Uh, there is so much more. It may be a lifetime of collecting things about who you are and your original design. Did you know the Mona Lisa had a twin? Um, Kathy and I found this. Uh, you, you knew this? This is her twin. I'll put the original up next to it. That's the original, a little more brown because Da Vinci liked varnish and there's three coats of varnish over the original that's turned it brown. But um, the twin is in the Prado Museum in Madrid, Spain. And we had the privilege to visit that museum. And we saw this and we go, why is there a copy in this prestigious museum and we had to read the bio and realize, oh, it's, it's not a copy. It's a twin. I don't know if you realize um, big museums, they, they have the technology to see behind the painting. Um, it's not x-ray, but it's like ultrasound x-ray. I don't, I don't know what it is. But many times, masters would make a painting, and they would just not like it and paint a whole other painting over it. And, you know, there'd be paintings of Elvis and dogs playing poker and stuff like that behind there, and then they paint right over it. Well, they said, hey, we have this technology. We have this painting. It's unsigned. They don't know where it came from. So they said, let's just uh, use our technology and see what's behind here. Well, what they found were 200 changes. Actually, I forget the number, a little over 200. 
And the changes in number and order exactly matched the original. And what this means, the only way that could be done is if it was done in the same place at the same time. Leonardo da Vinci had two understudies. And again, it's not signed, so we don't know which one did it, but he would have his easel. He actually had a model, you know, sit down, a real Venetian woman, and he would paint, and then the understudy would not paint the model. He would paint what the master did. And if you know anything about art, he used little dots, a different technique. And he was notorious for making a lot of changes, over 200. Well, when he would make the change, the student would make the exact same change. And the reason I share this with you is because I'm asking you to receive your masterpiece status, and we have a couple versions of this in Scripture. But Jesus is the one that created our faith. And the vocabulary here is that he is the author, the master, but he is also the perfecter, the finisher. So that means you are God's masterpiece right now. Are there changes to be made? Yeah, there's probably a couple hundred. Don't let that bother you. That does not negate, that does not change your status as God's masterpiece right now. So um, with that, I want to take a little break. I know we kind of got started late, but let's take about, can we take a seven and a half minute break right about here? Uh, just to kind of stretch, use the restroom and come back. All right, thanks.